0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Psalms 149 verses 1 through 5 says this, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your maker. O people of Jerusalem, exult in your King. Praise His name with dancing. Accompaniment with tambourine and a harp and acoustic guitar and electric guitar and kick drum. I may have added that part. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that he honors them. Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. We at Kingsway have three core values. And as you already heard from Kyle, the first one is celebration. We love God. And the reason we gather together every single Sunday and sing songs and open up what we believe is the Bible is the word, his words to us, the reason we do that is because we wanna celebrate and remember who he is, his goodness, and his faithfulness. And so here we are as we're closing out 2019. We wanted to take a look back and kind of start to prepare ourselves as we look forward into 2020 for what God is gonna do in us next. So that's the whole purpose of today so as we just saw in that video all the volunteers and the lives changed and people committing their lives christ and people getting baptized and all those great things let's just stop for one minute and give god the glory thank you god thank you god The word victory, you've heard over and over and over and over and over again in this series. We just read about it in Psalm. What in the world does victory actually mean? There's only a handful or so of passages in the entire New Testament that actually deal with the word victory, uh, as we would translate it in English. It's the Greek word nikos. Nikos. And I actually found out this week that the word Nikos is actually where my name comes from. I didn't know that. And somewhere along the way, uh, the Nikos family apparently was, uh, I don't know, taken over or conquered by Scandinavians. So we became sons of Nikos. Nikos sons. That's where our name, I didn't even know that. How cool is that? This sermon is about me the rest of today. Um, In all seriousness, I have no desire to turn you into uh, little Nickisons. Uh, You would all be much too short to succeed in life. But my goal is uh, to help you understand what it means to be a son and a daughter of victory. A son and a daughter of victory. And what exactly does the Bible mean when it says victory for the sons and the daughters of God? So let's start with that concept first. Today, we're not using the TV screen We're not using what we call the lower third, the last portion of the screens. Today, we're gonna actually pull out the printed Bible or if you prefer a digital Bible, you can use that on one of your space gadgets. And uh, I'm just gonna ask you to grab a Bible, however you use it, brought your own, whatever. If you don't know how to use a Bible, no worries. Grab this one. It should be somewhere in front of you or behind you or something like that. You may have to ask somebody behind you, hey, can I borrow that real quick? No big deal. And then what we're going to do is jump first into 1 John chapter 5. If you don't know where that is, in the Bible that we provided, that would be page 1,033. Page 1,033. If I'm wrong, I apologize. It's because we may have different versions of this Bible somewhere in the room. But 1,033. I'll I'll buy you time while you get there. John, who wrote the book of 1 John, also wrote another book called The Gospel of John. The difference between the two is in the Gospel of John, John is trying to tell the story of Jesus as he personally experienced it. First John, second John, and third John are what we call epistles or letters to churches. They're letters to Christians to tell us how to live this life. And usually when Paul and John and Peter and others are writing to the church, they're trying to address a problem going on in the church. What's fascinating to me about John is in the Gospel of John, John never actually calls himself John. Instead, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And over and over and over again, he says that. The disciple that Jesus loved was there with him. The disciple that Jesus loved was at the communion table, and and Jesus is actually seen kind of leaning up against John at the Last Supper, and, and on and on it goes. And I think it's fascinating as we get into what does victory actually mean, that we put it in the context that John would put it in, and that is that you and I are dearly loved children of God. First John chapter five, verse one says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To believe is victory. You might want to put that as your next tattoo that Matt said you can get. To believe is victory. What that means is when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. We join a family, the family of believers. Now, if you join this family of believers, you become a part of the kingdom of God here at Kingsway, but we are not the only God family in town. There are many, by God's grace, there are many great families in our community, many great churches, some big, some small, some everywhere in between, but by God's grace, we're all family members of the same family, because we claim Jesus as our older brother, and as our king, and as our savior, and as our Lord, and therefore, we have victory. But what does it mean to actually have victory? There's a false teaching that exists today, and it has many different facets to it, but one of the false teachings is what we call the name it, claim it philosophy, or theology. The idea is... Because Jesus said, whatever I ask for in his name, and I think it's John chapter 14, maybe verse 26, because Jesus said that, therefore, whatever I ask for, God has to give it to me. As if God is nothing more than Will Smith and a bottle, and I rub the lamp, and he pops out, and I go, hey, God, since I believe in Jesus, you better do this for me, or I need you to do this for me, and God has to go and do it. Was that what Jesus meant when he said what he said? And I don't believe it was. But I believe what is accurate is tied directly to this concept of victory. So the questions that we need to ask and discover in our time here today is, what does victory mean? What is the victory over? How do I live in light of victory today? So with that, what I wanna do is take you to a text, we'll spend the rest of our time in that one text, but it's long and it's powerful. So go ahead and turn with me there 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now if you don't know where this is, I believe it's page 959, yep, in this Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 959, if you're watching at home, I don't know how to tell you where to find it, you can listen and look it up maybe on a digital Bible app or something, you could Google it, biblehub.com will help you out, there's lots of ways to find it. Let me set up Corinthians for you so you can understand what Paul is dealing with so that you can understand what Paul is saying. In Corinth, that's where the book of Corinthians is written to, this is one of Paul's epistles or letters to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a church that Paul helped begin. Corinth is a booming city in its day, pretty big by size standards. It's a seafarer city. It's right there on the edge of the water. And so it gets a lot of people traveling from other places by boat. They bring the goods that they picked up along the way or from where they're from. And they come and they buy and sell and do business. And then go back along to other parts of the world. And what happens when seamen are out at sea and they become very lonely from their travels? They come into port and there's multiple opportunities for them to both do business and do pleasure. And I know there may be children in the room and I hope you can fill in the blanks. There are many temples to false gods built around these concepts in Corinth in that day. If you were to travel to the top of a hill, I didn't write down which one it was. I can't remember if it was Athena, Diana. I believe one of the false goddesses though is up there on the top of the hill and they had uh, temple ladies who worked the temple. And I'm trying to be vague. And so the men would come in and they would travel up to the temple and they would spend some time with the temple ladies. And um, this is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells them, do not do that, because when you do, you become one with those ladies. God intended you to become one only with your bride. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And Paul is beginning to lay this foundation as we build to 1 Corinthians 15, and he's beginning to tell them, understand that when you believe in Jesus christ the victory that is yours is that god is ushering in through you a new kind of kingdom with a new kind of perspective new eyes and ways to see the world so that you no longer live according to your flesh which is losing a battle well what battle is it losing so losing a battle against our enemy This is foundational. You hear me say that almost every single Sunday. I feel the need to repeat it because we have guests with us almost every single Sunday. But in the very beginning, God created a garden, and the garden was a beautiful, perfect place. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them one simple rule, but not easy. Be fruitful, multiply, enjoy each other, but don't eat the fruit of this one tree. Because in doing so, you will surely die. The Hebrew actually says, in dying, you will die. Well, when Eve ate of the fruit and gave the fruit to Adam, what the scriptures teach us is year after year after year, every person born has then been born into a fallen world. And now we find this battle, but the battle, as John already told us in 1 John chapter 5, the battle is for obedience. That's what the battle is over. Because God wants to usher in a good and kind and merciful and loving and righteous and just kingdom. But the kingdom doesn't find its heart or its place easily in the hearts of men and women. It said the kingdom is being fought against by an enemy. You may have heard of him called Lucifer. We often call him Satan. Whatever phrase you want to use for him. And I know if you're visiting, you're like, I don't know if I believe in all that junk. I know. But you can't put biblical texts together without understanding this very crucial principle. Because since that fall, we've all been outside the family, looking for a family, and God created a family in Jesus Christ. Now, the church in Corinth is birthed as a family in the middle of this town, and it's a hodgepodge group of people. Some are true family members, like biological family, born of the same group, and they've come to faith together, but others are kind of piecemeal together, and they've been kicked out of their families, and they're finding a place together in this local gathering in Corinth. Now, the problem is, as time has gone on, and as Paul left the city, what's happened is Satan and others who want to see the church fail, they've come in and started spreading lies, and People are starting to question their faith. They're questioning whether they should believe at all. They're thinking about giving up and walking away. How can we know? I mean, it's crazy. Really? A guy raised from the dead? That's just nuts. You really believe that? No smart, intelligent person could ever honestly believe that. To which Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. In other words, Paul's saying, look, Don't forget when I came to you and I lived among you. I didn't even ask you to pay me. I didn't bring miracles. I didn't bring all these lights and shows and sounds. I brought a simple gospel message and you believed it in your hearts unless you never really believed it in the first place or unless the message you believed wasn't even true. He goes on, no, 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 it is true. Here's how you know. Look at verse three. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles, and last, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted God's church. Now, if you're visiting with us today, if you're watching at home online, you're not sure about this Jesus guy. I get it. Totally get it. I had to wrestle through this at one point myself before I could accept faith as my own. In essence, what Paul is arguing is this. Your faith is anchored in a reality, in a historical event. You don't have to believe the event. You don't have to take Paul at his word, but you do have to explain some things. There's some explaining to do. And here's what it is. Jesus died on the cross. Almost everybody in the world believes that. But he also rose from the dead. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't just pass out in a coma, and they thought that he was dead, but he wasn't. He was full on dead. And then on the third day, he rose again. And Peter saw him, and James saw him, and then 500 of the other disciples saw him, and then the other disciples saw him, and I saw him. Some of us are dead. We can't testify anymore, but the rest of us who are alive, we can testify Now, you may say, well, that sounds great, but how do we know that the Christians 30, 50, 100, 200 years later didn't just make that up? Here's the way that you can know, or at least the way that I have anchored my soul into knowing. Here's how you can know. How else do you explain the radical change that came in guys like Peter? Peter, before Jesus died on the cross, he's hiding in the upper room. He's hiding and actually denying that Jesus was ever even a friend of his in front of a small girl, a teenage girl, because he's afraid that they're going to kill him too. That same Peter goes out on Pentecost and boldly proclaims, he gets arrested, he gets beaten nearly to death, and he says, I can't help it, I have to testify. Something happened to Peter to change him from afraid to bold, and not just Peter, but over 500 other people. So powerful was their testimony. The Christians started popping up all over the place in ancient Rome to where there are roughly 2 billion of them today. So either they literally saw something that literally changed them or they all decided together, let's get the poo kicked out of us for the next couple decades. Let's literally be cut in half Let's be chased by animals and killed. That's what happened in the Colosseum. Go to Italy, see it for yourself. Let's literally be killed and tortured and brutalized for the next hundred years because we're all lying and have agreed to lie together. Does that sound like what you would do? Or the first time that Nero or somebody else threatened to have you killed, would you be like, "Ha ha! I was just kidding. Whole thing made up. Really, keep the lions. I'm good. I'm good." But if you saw something as radical as a man raised from the dead, all you'd be able to say is, I don't want to die that way, but I don't know what else to say. I saw what I saw. So how does that lead us to victory? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to do one, two, skip a few. Jump down to verse 13 with me. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. In that case, verse 18, I should say that, verse 18, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. In other words, what Paul is trying to argue at this point is if Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, then Christian, go ahead home and enjoy your Sunday morning. Sleep in. Get ready for the football games. Go get ready for work and school or whatever you got going on this week. Go get ready for the big parties coming up. Don't worry about it. You're wasting your time. But if he did raise from the dead, it's a game changer. It changes everything. Everything. We're, we're to be more pitied than anybody. Why? because we have sold our lives to the gospel. We have chosen to live in such a way that is different and radically different from this world. We've missed out sometimes on fun and pleasure and opportunity, we've missed out on things because we believe there's a greater joy, a greater hope, a greater promise if we live the life that God has called us to live. We're banking on a resurrection, and we're banking our eternity on it. And Paul's saying, and you're not wasting your life. Take a look at verse uh, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. In other words, that's us. He went first, then we followed in order. Look at verse 23. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. And what we're talking about specifically is in the unseen realm, that yes, kings and, and dictators and evil people who hold positions of authority, who exert their authority in a way that does not bring God's goodness to earth. Yes, also, but it's because they are surrendered to a different kingdom that is not God's kingdom. So when Jesus came and he lived as one under the law and he bore the weight of the law and he fulfilled the law by never sinning, therefore when he died and he rose from the dead, God gave him authority over everything so that he could destroy your enemy. So what does victory mean? Victory means your enemy has been defeated. Yeah. Everybody's like, I don't know, I want to clap for that. I don't know if I should clap for that. And you know why that's powerful? Because when we sing songs like, I'm gonna see a victory, you've already seen a victory. You've already seen it. You've seen it because Jesus rose from the dead, and you will too. And why is that powerful? Let's just keep reading. Verse 25. Verse 25. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed, verse 26, is death. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that all men have one common fear, the fear of death. Now, I love to listen to... Podcasts, read books and read web articles by agnostics and atheists and talking back and forth to Christians and people of other faiths and religions. I'm very open-minded in those ways. I want to know either my faith is real or it's not. And so I want to have those conversations as much as possible because I believe that every time I have them, my faith goes deeper. I don't have all the answers. I have lots of questions. Anybody here who has doubts? Me too. But I anchor many of my doubts in listening to those things and hearing the other side. And every time I do, I go, my God is so good. My God is so good. Many people today claim they have no fear Of death because they believe that when they die, it'll just go, they'll just cease to exist completely whatsoever. But I don't buy that. I'm not saying they're lying because I don't know what they really feel. I can never tell a person what they really feel or what they really think, but I don't buy it. And part of the reason I don't buy it is because scripture says there's one thing that gets everybody the fear of death. Because death is the ultimate unknown. As we've been dealing with death in our family, I sometimes get questions from my boys. And what I could tell them is, guys, here's what I know Scripture says with certainty. The rest of it, I'll tell you when I get there, except for that I can't. Because once I get there, I won't be able to report back to you anything else that I've learned. There's anxiety about that. And what Paul is saying is, what... Jesus did in the death and the resurrection was he took the key that kept everybody chained in shackles to the fear of death. He took it and he released any captive who wants to be set free. So now death has no sting. Why? Because there's nothing to fear anymore. I can live my life for the glory of God, and the worst that any anybody anywhere can do to me is kill me. Great. I get to be free with my Father in heaven for eternity. Bring it. If that's the worst that you can do to me, then you've got nothing on me. I am now free. Free to live life in a way that is pleasing to my Father. And not worry about whether I'm good enough or significant enough or I measure up enough or I've, I've done enough or whether or not it's going to hurt or whether or not the sacrifice will be too great. No, 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 no. I am Free, finally free, because Jesus triumphed over my enemy and he gave to me the victory. So now I don't live my life to attain the victory. No, I live my life from the victory. Sometimes when I'm playing games with my kids and we say, okay, we're gonna flip a coin and I'll say, okay, here we go. Heads I win, tails you lose. You ready? Wait for a second. Ready? Heads I win, tails you lose. Either way, what? You have kids, right? Go and be blessed and use this. Okay. (laughs) Now, it doesn't work anymore. It only works the first couple times. Then mommy goes, boys, your daddy's trying to trick you. But listen, that's what this is like. It doesn't matter what happens next. Heads I win, tails you lose. No matter what, I win. The victory is mine. My Savior has won. He rose from the dead. There's nothing you can do to me. Anybody, anywhere, do you know why that's powerful? It means that I'm free to live the gospel. It means that I am free to forgive others when they have hurt me. It means that I'm free to seek forgiveness from others that I have hurt. It means I'm free to do business in a way that is pleasing to God and not worry about whether or not it's all going to work out in the end because my father promises. He promises he'll take care of me. I'll always have clothing and food. I'll always be provided for. I may not be the wealthiest, but he'll always take care of me. It means that I'm free to be generous to other people and not worry if it's going to work out in the end. God promises he'll work it out. He'll work out the math. It means that I'm free to serve with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength for the glory of God because God in his goodness is gonna give me everything that I need. In fact, he's already given it to me in Jesus Christ. It means that I'm free to be a peacemaker when there's stress between, say, two political parties and my friends and my family are fighting and arguing all the time. Well, this is right and gun laws this and racism that and all these things are very real and they're things that we ought to talk about, but for crying out loud, I'm free to enter into it and say, you know what's bigger than all these things? Jesus, and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead that this world might be surrendered fully to him in every way. Boy, does the world need peacemakers. Blessed are they. See, the gospel frees us to become the people that God intended for us to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm gonna read verse 28. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything else, or everything everywhere. Flip the page over, go to verse 42. Now what Paul does next, this is typical Paul kind of thing, he's re-trying to make the same point, and he's making the same point over and, over and over and over and over again. He's using multiple different analogies to get there, so we're going to read some of those, and then I'll just summarize everything that you're not reading. But verse 42, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. What Paul says, all the stuff that I'm just summarizing for you here, what Paul says is, look, what exactly it's going to look like when Jesus comes back and returns and places all things under his authority before he hands it to God the Father. We aren't 100% sure, but we know this and won't look a lot like this it won't be this broken down body that you see before you. So if you recently got some sort of medical diagnosis that's scaring the tar out of you, one day your body won't be like this. He gives some comparisons. In the same way that the sun is different than the moon, in the same way that humans are different than animals. And the same way that spiritual beings are different than humans. And the way that God has created different things with different bodies, one day when Jesus returns, you will either be asleep and he'll raise you up from your sleep or you'll be awake and he will take you then. And in a twinkling of an eye, in an instant, in a moment, your body will be transformed into a new thing that will no longer perish, no longer suffer, no longer go through pain and heartache. The deceptions of this world are over. The, the lies are over. The hurt and abandonment and trauma is over. And you can bank on that because Jesus rose from the dead. The reason that's powerful, so if you're visiting with us, you're like, why is all that powerful? It's because Paul is trying to tell you, you're living in a world that's passing away. It's going bye-bye. Paul uses the analogy of asleep here, and what he really means is dead. You're like, why didn't he just say dead? Because we tend to think of dead as final. So Paul uses the analogy of asleep because he doesn't want you to think of death as final. He wants you to think of death as like asleep. some point, after you fall asleep, you're going to what? Wake up. Now, because it's Christmas break, heading into New Year's, it might be a little longer than usual, but if you're dead, when Jesus comes back, if you're dead, you're asleep, you'll wake up. But if you're alive and Jesus returns, great. Either way, same outcome, same outcome. And no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return, which is why it's critical if you love Jesus that you don't wait 10 years or 20 years or 30 years to start getting some victory in life now. It's critical you don't wait for some future day when something changes or something happens to motivate you, but you start saying today, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior, and therefore, I surrender my life to him. And the question then following that is, where do you need victory in 2020? Where do you need God to insert life into you? Where do you need freedom from chains that have you shackled because you're living as if earth is the reality and not heaven and the return of Jesus? Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there something you need to let go of? Is there a habit you've got to stop? Is there something that's preventing you from becoming the the wife or the husband or the mother or the father or the employee or the person that God has created you to be? And if so, how do you right now turn to your father, accept his mercy, and say, God, thank you for your grace. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So God, I don't want to be held back by these things anymore. I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, here I am. What do you want to do? And me. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. But we will all be transformed. Verse 53 For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. Now, I gotta camp on this one for 30 seconds. There's a whole sermon. This is the book of Galatians in one verse. But here's what Paul means. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, and remember, 1 John 5, which we read to begin there, 1 John 5 told us that obedience is victory. So when Adam and Eve chose to disobey, what happened was death, that is really death, entered into this world. This is why there's so much fighting and backbiting and devouring and evil in the world today today. It's not because those people who disagree with you are wrong and you are right. It's because sin entered the picture, but not just sin, an enemy who seizes sin and tries to bring it about all over the earth so that the earth is full of disobedience. So God sent the law, but the law was powerless. The law only made our problem worse because the law revealed to us all the ways that we lawbreakers. So sin brought us death, but the law was ineffective to bring us life. All the law could do was say, and here's where you're wrong, and here's where you're wrong, and here's where you're wrong. It's like talking to your mom on a bad day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I know. I'm going to get some emails. (laughs) Victory means grace. Just remember that. It's like being nagged. It's like having somebody point out all the ways that you've messed up. But do you know what the law couldn't bring you? Freedom. Life. Peace. Hope. Joy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Notice there's an exclamation point. You see it? But thank God! He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. Nikos. Sons and daughters of victory. Jesus rose from the dead and he said, the law has no power over you anymore. All of your failures aren't your identity. The enemy has no power over you anymore because you're not afraid to die. In fact, death brings you the freedom that you've ultimately been looking for. Death ushers you into the kingdom of God forever. But when do you become a part of the kingdom of God? When you die? When Jesus returns? No, no, When you become a son or a daughter, a victory. At the moment of your receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, when you go down into those waters and you come up out of those waters, victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I'll never forget, when my wife and I were still dating. We weren't engaged yet. We were in inner city New York. We actually crossed through Central Park in the dark, through Chinatown in the dark. I can't believe our parents let us do this. I don't think they knew. And we went to this uh, homeless shelter. And the, these men who were working this homeless shelter, they fed us there that night. And then they uh, did a worship service. we got to take part in the back and they actually sang a song, Victory is Mine. Victory is Mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind, because victory today is mine. I stopped singing the song, I just started listening. I'm watching these men who've been ruined by alcohol addiction and drug addiction and sex addiction and all kinds of things that just destroyed their lives. Many of me sat at the tables and told us how they were doctors and lawyers and businessmen and teachers and just loving fathers and they have a family, they have this and it all fell apart because something destroyed their lives and they gave into another kingdom but now victory in the name of Jesus Christ has come to them and I sometimes think, I wonder if we had overcome such great tragedy in our lives how much greater our joy for our fathers would be. Victory today is mine. I can live every single day with the love of God in me because I have no fear about what's going to happen next. I know exactly what's going to happen next. My king is going to come back. He's going to take me with him. After that, I say amen. Yeah. That's why Revelation Just stay here, we'll come back. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this. They, the believers, triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, what Revelation is trying to remind us is when we have this view in mind, then we live our lives every single day for the glory of God. We want to see Jesus lifted high, whatever that means. So here's my question for you. Ready? I usually start everything with a question. I'm going to end with a question. Where do you need to see the victory of God in 2020? Where do you need to see the victory of God? Where is somewhere that you are being selfish Where is somewhere where you're refusing to surrender to God in his ways? Where is somewhere that you are holding on to your own pride or power or whatever it is and God is saying, let me have it. Let me be God of this in your life. Who is in your life perhaps that God has uniquely placed you there to be a salt and a light and a love to them that they would know his goodness and his mercy and his righteousness if only you would maybe give up a little bit of your time or a little bit of your resources or a little bit of whatever it is because Paul finishes 1 Corinthians 15 with verse 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, Be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Oh man, I love that. A couple years ago, God gave me this phrase. I just find it comes up all the time. God will never waste a sacrifice. So let's be people of sacrifice in 2020. Here's what I wanna do. I just wanna go to the Lord in prayer. And when I'm done, there's communion tables all over the room. Our connect team is ready to talk to anybody who wants to connect with God. There's offering baskets all over the room if God has led you to give generously to his church. But this ain't gonna be no short prayer. I just wanna pray as if we're actually talking to our Father. So if this makes you uncomfortable, just try to engage. And if you need to, start praying your own prayer. You don't need me to pray for you. But we need to end this year with prayer. Let's pray. Oh God. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind, because victory today is mine. Father, may I embrace that truth. You tell us to sing songs to you, even new songs to you, even while lying in bed, to be a people so full of joy, so full of praise, that our hearts can't hold back the confidence that we feel in you. That no matter what we're facing, no matter our fears and anxieties about what is about to come, the confidence that instead comes of knowing our Savior and our Lord has risen from the dead. So God, all those things that get in our way and prevent us from knowing you and experiencing you and living for you and bringing your kingdom of heaven to earth, God, would you destroy those? I pray right now for men and women in the room who desperately need to forgive somebody. And they can't seem to let go of the anger and the bitterness or the rage or the insecurity that they feel. God, give them freedom. Give them freedom. God, I pray for those. I pray for those in this room, Father, who are experiencing relational brokenness right now. Whatever caused it, whatever led them to this place, it's not allowing the life that is really life in Jesus to be lived out in their home and in their lives. And they've got to swallow their pride. Somebody's going to have to die so that everyone can find a little bit of Jesus' life inside them. God, I pray, whoever the Holy Spirit's tugging on the heart right now, that they would be the one to go first. Father, there are people in this room and you've been calling and moving and stirring and begging them to join you in advancing your kingdom on this earth. And God, in our community, there are children right now who do not have a home. God, would you raise up people in our community who say it's not just about this great American dream. It's about the kingdom of God. God, there are people in this room are so sold out to the message of this world but there's something today, there's something your spirit's doing and they're stirring in them Father I pray right now would your spirit break the hardness that's holding them back from experiencing the life that is really life God, in all those ways and all those places that I can't think of, Father, where the enemy has a foothold, he has a stronghold in somebody's heart. Father, I pray right now, people addicted to alcohol and people addicted to drugs and people addicted to their anger and people addicted to their work and people addicted to money and people addicted to pornography and people addicted to, you name it, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you bring the life that is really life, and we stop living for this world and start living for a kingdom that is here and is also yet to come. God, would you do something in us greater than we can even now anticipate as we surrender wholly our lives to you? And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and all God's people say.